You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you've got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you, you may be already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason, to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Welcome to the Magna Method Podcast, and I'm extremely fortunate today to sit down with NFL defensive lineman, currently of the Washington Redskins, Ricky Jean Francois, the freak. Welcome to the show, Ricky. Thank you for having me. Ricky, uh, I know we do drills together, and you're uh, constantly working on your game. You're a very busy person, uh, family in town. I really appreciate you making time for the show. Thank uh, you. Th thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So, Ricky, uh, the Magna Method podcast is all about hearing people like yourself um, and, and, you know, trying to figure out the little uh, steps, strategies, the thought process, the mindset that get has gotten people where they are currently in their field. And you're at the highest level. Why don't we take it back a little bit and talk about your early beginning as an athlete, where you grew up. Tell us about where you grew up and what it was like for you growing up, just with your family. I grew up in uh, Carroll City. Right now, the name of it is Miami Gardens, but I will always call it Carroll City. Um, grew up in the Miami area. Uh, dad of Haitian descent, mom from Georgia. I'm the youngest. Got I uh, have an older brother. He's 30. I'm 29. Um, Both athletes. Was your brother an athlete as well? No, I was the, I was the only athlete in the household. Okay. He should have been one, but I was the only half athlete in the household. How were you drawn to sports at an early age? Uh, just looking at my dad. My dad played soccer. He was trying to get me to veer that way, but I was a little too big for be running up and down the field that of that size. So, seeing a lot of the kids play street football, so I noticed everybody was into that at the time. So I started migrating over there. Um, played Optimates for a year. I was 10 years old playing with 150s, and those kids was like 14, 15 years old, and I was a 10-year-old playing with the kids that weighed 150. But it was a great experience. Played one year and got a chance to, to move on. Had to wait, out, wait a few years, but while I waited, played street football with the kids around the block. So I think what I just heard is you had to wait because you were too big, correct? Correct, at 10 years old. Okay, this is a very common story with a lot of my guests, including myself. Um, they don't actually let you play uh, with the younger kids if you're much bigger than them, bigger than them, excuse me, out of uh, for safety precautions, right? And, you know, you grew up in an area, um, Miami is a very, very highly trafficked uh, blue chip area for football players. What was the competition like early on let's say in that junior because you played junior or you went your first was uh the high school level it was a high school level the high school level was my first my first time going on and where were you just you know chopping at the bit to get out there and if you'll tell us about you and your first experience playing at the high school level uh, first experience playing at the high school level got a chance to play for Miami Care City Senior High uh ninth grade JV uh, my mom was scared for me because she's seen it was high school kids. I was big enough, but you know how your mom always going to be. I uh, had a chance to, to line up with some of the best players that came out of Miami Carroll City Senior High. 
got a chance to to be coached by the conductor Walt Frazier, one of the best coach ever in Dade County, probably the state of Florida. Got a chance to get out there and start learning football from a um, an organized standpoint. I knew it from the street ball level, but it was it's different when you get in between those lines and you got pads and helmets on. Mm-hmm. And I mean. I, I have to know. I know Ricky. I, I work with Rick, Ricky. We do pass rush work. And this guy's an incredible looking athlete. What, 6'4? I wish I was 6'3. Six, six, <laughs> six, Give us the weight. 310. 310? 310 it is. Okay, 310 <laughs> it is. He moves incredibly well. He's very athletic. Uh, what was it like early on? Were you doing a lot, lots of uh, weight room training? Were you doing lots of drill work when you were in high school, or you kind of, you know, waited till later on? Because I had to do a ton of work because I wasn't a, a gifted athlete. What was it like for you? How much time did you spent off the field per, per, uh, working on your skill set? I, I worked on many different skill sets. Uh, I had a guy named Donald Heaven. He was one of the best linemen in uh, Kara City history. He worked out. He worked with me as a 10th uh, grader to, to get me better and better in each each year in the football season. While I wasn't doing football, I was in track and field, basketball, baseball, and golf. I wish I could still golf like I did then, but I know I can't do now, so I got to get back to working on that one. Could you drive the hell out of it? Then I could, but now since my, my, my back is a little bit wider and broader, that's kind of a little difficult, so I need professional help, hint, hint. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did a good job when I was in high school doing it. Oh my goodness! And when did you know uh, that? Hey, man, I might have a future uh, playing at the next level. The next level at the time, of course, was college. When did you know you might have a legitimate chance to play Division One A football? Uh, I'm gonna say my 11th grade summer. I didn't really know about all of the, the recruiting, the scouts, and all that. I was just playing football because at the moment I didn't have my mindset like I'm gonna go to college and you know I'm gonna go to Division One program. I was just out there just having fun and just having a ball. And one uh, spring, my 11th grade spring, yeah, I was sitting out there. Um, I was throwing discus and shot put. I was a, a track and field guy too. I was looking at the University of Miami, Florida State, Oklahoma, uh, USC. Uh, it was one point that um, Pete Carroll came to our school and sat us down to talk, and no lie, I did not know who this cat was at first. I did not know, but when I saw his finger rose up with that with that national championship ring, after we finished meeting, I made sure I went inside the library and Googled who, the, who this guy was. I, I wasn't, I was good in football, but I just didn't think of myself like as a division one athlete. I wasn't focusing on that, I was just focusing on just being the best athlete in any sport that I actually touched. Mm-hmm. But when I started seeing the scouts and the head coaches, pulling you out of classes and sitting out talking to you and so on and so on. I was like, I, I might have a chance at a Division One level school. Right. And were there um, three, let's go three. What were the three schools that it came down to? I mean, you get five visits, right? You were still getting getting mm-hmm. five trips. Wait, let's First, let's talk, where did you go for your five schools? Uh, I went to LSU, mm-hmm. I went to Florida State. I went to USC, I went to Tennessee, and I went to uh, University of South Florida. University of South Florida. Okay. Um, now, you narrowed it down to three, no? Yes. What were those three? It was um, LSU, South Florida, and Tennessee. South Florida and Tennessee. Who was the head coach at LSU at the time? 
At, at the time, it was Nick Saban, but he took another job with the Miami Dolphins. And he left, and who came in? Uh, coach Miles from Oklahoma State. Oh, Les Miles. Les Miles. All right. Yeah. He's a great coach. So what was different about your – because you ultimately you chose LSU, and to pull a kid out of Florida to go to LSU isn't necessarily a win for the universities in the state of Florida. Letting one go uh, – who's a very special athlete like yourself is not something that they want to brag about. Why did you choose the LSU? What was different about your experience at LSU when you went in your visit? Um, it was a different culture. I was just only used to being between 595 and 995, only knowing people in the city of Miami, never been outside of it. And when I got a chance to go to Louisiana, it was a different culture. I got around different, more nationalities. I got around different personalities I could get the chance to interact with people who I never met before and now I get to to build a skill that every kid should build once they get inside of college and that's be able to be able to be well rounded with everybody that's right and I often it's interesting we don't know what we feel what we crave or what we need until we get around it right yeah correct. I, I mean I always say within our business it's it's 15 percent skill 85 percent interpersonal skills and working and developing your social self is a huge huge part of it i think uh when you got around all those people you were seeing like you know the world's a big place and i, w- I want to try to see as much as i can yeah so um yeah lsu is an incredible school what was your experience like once on campus at lsu it was crazy just been going from a, a high school that has a senior class of 800 to a school that had 5,000 kids to a school that has 35,000 kids. And you, you're moving around. You got a class at 8 o'clock. You got a class at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Your parents not there with you, so you, you feel like you can sleep in and do everything. But that's when you realize that you really have responsibility. Now you're at your mom and your dad's house, and now you on somewhere to become an adult. It was it was a great experience there from just the the culture the the Creole culture from Mardi Gras to the essence to knowing the history of the country what went on why they call the Louisiana Purchase why they had parishes and not counties it was just so many different things there so it was a great experience there to to learn so many different things so when I got a chance to come back home to my mom and dad I, I was just just shooting out information to we seen this we did that I know about this or how people do do this up there. It's a, it's a different world up there, but it's a good place to go and visit, but it was a great place to go attend school. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you really embraced the academic culture there. What were you like, what were you like first day as a student in high school, and then what were you like as a student in, uh, co- at college? I was, I think, both the same. I was a deer in headlights. Mm-hmm. You know, go to high school, you see all the, the, the bigger kids, and, you know, they, they know freshmen, and, you know, they got the prank going. Like, we got a third floor with a pool upstairs. <laughs> Care City only had two floors, but people really believed that. So the first day, I remember the first day of high school, I just seen a bunch of kids standing by an elevator talking about we're going to go upstairs, our class on the third floor. We didn't have a third floor in Carroll City. <laughs> and just going to, and like going to college, knowing you got to get up, like class at eight, you got to get up at seven, you got to get breakfast and just go to a class with a bunch of other students and, and learn something you never learned before because in high school and you know college, the education level a little bit different. And Oh, yeah. Getting a chance to, to open up friendship and not just only with athletes, but with normal students, learning how they like how they live life compared to us. But it was a great experience. Did um you sh- did you struggle with, you know, 
the responsibility of being on your own on once on that college campus because I know you all hear stories you're in just a quick example you're in the dining facility now we know when we're with our family we have either a mother or father that looks out for us to make sure we get three square meals a day or maybe it's a, a just a single parent or it's your grandparents whoever it may be now you're in college and all of a sudden you went from eating a healthy three meals or somewhat healthy three meals and growing up to eating big bowls of frosted flakes three times a day what was it like you you now you're on your own you're fending for yourself were you pretty responsible or was there an adjustment period at first it was an adjustment period gave us an id card we had something called the pentagon it was uh what when they dined in the morning time you got you got everything unlimited size you can get as many scoops as you want of eggs pancakes whatever it may be and i'm like i'm a kid like <laughs> man i said this is in high school, you had to pay for this. And now I get to go to college and actually get as many meals as I want for free. I was just, I just took advantage of that. I was at one point I was I came in in college at two thirty five. By the end of that summer, I was two sixty five. Just from, just from seeing that many meals a day, <laughs> and you know, at night you can get a chance to you know get all the dinners you want, stack them up, put them inside a flag, and just take them back to your room. Because <laughs> when it came late night. And I had three other different roommates. Hey, we, did, we didn't have the, the finance. So right. you got the Pentagon right there. You made the Pentagon become an all-you-can-eat buffet from that Pentagon to your room. That's smart. Not everyone has the money to buy an extra large pizza every night. You know, Basically. you got to fend for yourself. But uh, much of the, the same for myself. But it's interesting how even, like, the people who maintain and work the cafeteria at these universities, they look out for the athletes as well and you form friendships with them. Did you experience that? Oh man, that was the first thing I did. I had to make a, I had to make a friendship with them because a lot of the days they wouldn't let athletes take dinner dinner out. So I had became good friends with the woman at the door, the woman at the cab register, the, the woman behind the, the building, like the place. I didn't care if I had to sign helmets, jerseys, whatever it had to. <laughs> as long as we can make an equal trade of me taking this plate out of this cafeteria. And I love all my friends, love all my teammates that I made. I wasn't going to tell. I'm sorry. That was my food. Right. One thing about me, I love food. So I became, I got a great relationship with all of them. And to this day, when I go back and I see them, I go back and visit all of them. Right. That's that's terrific. Tremendous how that bond is formed. So now we'll take it to the classroom. You're in the classroom and you're in there with, you know, athletes from all sports, but you're also in it with the regular students. And I, I talked about this when I had Vernon on. What was it like when you were sitting in your first class? Was there an aha moment when you said, man, I really got to focus because this is going to be very challenging and not like high school. In high school, you get work, you get challenged, but sometimes it works against you if you're an athlete because if you're an athlete, they pat you on the butt, they take care of you, they make sure you, you either get through, or if you're a good student, they make sure you, you really excel and you might just be an average student. I don't know what kind of student you were, but what was it like when you're sitting in that first class with your eyes wide open, deer in headlights, and man, I'm in trouble? It was. It was Math 1029. I can remember sitting in there just looking at it. was a guy that was, uh, our instructor was, I think, Korean, and he had a heavy accent. <laughs> but the thing is, I understood all the math problems, and he was like, you got this homework. We got page 29. I'm opening up a book that has 400 pages inside of it, and when I flipped to the page and I seen how much work it was, it was like a hundred problems had to be done before the next day. And I'm sitting here like, high school, you might have had like six, seven problems. You know, you might have, we might have wrote down what the homework was. It might have been like ten problems at Mac. But you're telling me you got a hundred problems, and I have to learn 
these syllables, these numbers, what this mean, what that mean, and all. I was just so happy that LSU blessed me with a study hall and with tutors. Oh yeah. Because at first when I seen it, I was like, I had to question myself. I'm like, I don't know if I'm, I'm fit out for college <laughs> right now. But when they had, when LSU gave us the opportunity to have a study hall and have tutors, I think that would help me. And I had to stay studious as hard as I could. Cause like mm-hmm. you said, you got some teachers that will pat you on the button. You got some teachers that, that'll give you a hard time. Oh and yeah. As being an athlete in college, I know some of the kids and teachers looked at us kind of different cause they think we had the easy way. Right. But I love the teachers now. I didn't, I didn't understand it then, but now I love the teachers that was hard on me. Right. Cause at first I was like, man, why they just won't let us, you know, let us do this. They done it in high school and all, but right. now in life I understand like this is the reason they was hard cause they wanted you to earn things and not get anything given to you because when it's time to go out in the world and you don't know something, that same information that was just you skipped over it, you may need it at this time somewhere. Oh, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's the hard that makes it worthwhile. And that's what we don't understand in those moments or when we're younger, when later on we appreciate those tough times more than ever. Man, I I thought I was the only one who had that conversation. My head was on a swivel and I was thinking, I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> this is really, really hard. And um, I mean, it was tough, really. But you know there were teachers we did have study hall as well and man those are some of my best friends in life till this day those teachers or those tutors rather responsible for getting me through yes. and then excelling toward the end thank goodness um you know you're you're so and i also think by the way that the regular students have it challenging but football players have it twice as challenging because you got to carry the workload of a regular student and carry the workload of an athlete Correct. and an athlete just give me some quick numbers. How much time do you watch film a day, roughly, Ugh. during the season? You got out. It was it was hard because you was a student. You had to go to study. You got classes from seven in the morning to two o'clock, and you got practice at three o'clock. So you tried to get a nap in, but you got to run over and you got to look at film with yourself or look at the opposing team. Then you got to get ready to go to the practice and do something. I think I can say a day. You might, and, and that just if you had that free time because after practice you have to go right back to study hall, right? And you're rushing to eat as well. But you're trying to you swallowing food down right. right after practice and running back to study hall. I think you may had a chance, probably three to four hours at max, to get film in. You had older guys who was who had like one or two classes, but if you was a freshman, you had on in a regular day you might have three, four classes, so you was you was struggling to get your chance to get to the film room we ain't got like then we didn't have the technology of the ipads we can just carry it around and Mm. okay now i can look at film and stuff no you had to go in the building and sit in there to see it but before then you had to go through practice you know you got to go to dinner you got to swallow it down and go back to study hall so it was kind of hard to watch film but when you got a chance to you had to take advantage of every minute you got the chance awesome awesome absolutely make the most of it and in Going back to what we were discussing before, you never know when you're going to need some of those skills when you're sitting in a classroom. I took Spanish, I think, for two years every single day. And I'm like, I'm never going to use this anyway. I mean, I'm going to live in the United States. I'll probably live, I'm, I'm from uh, southeastern Massachusetts. I'm not really going to need Spanish, which was the most foolish thing in the world to think. Turns out later on, I lived in Barcelona. I lived in Mallorca. And I was thinking, man, I wish I really paid attention in those classes and I knew this backwards. I definitely learned more living there than I did in the classroom, but that's because now it really mattered. Yeah. Um, so let's take it over the, to the field. 
your what was your experience like as a freshman? Were you slated to come right in and play, or was it, you know, an uphill climb? It was an uphill climb. I didn't get a chance to play my first year. I was a red shirt. That was a blessing. Got a chance to look at guys like Chase Pittman, Kirsten Pittman, uh, Ryan Willis, uh, Glenn Dorsey, Tyson Jackson. Um, was McFarlane there when you were there? He was he was way he was way before my time. Okay, time my uh, AK yeah. Booker. Yeah, he was there way before my time. But just I had a chance. Kyle Williams, Claude Roden. I got a chance to look at guys like that, who was who was paving the way for me to 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 be successful with them. So I had a chance to sit back and watch dudes who played in the 2003 national championship give me experience to to help me and help the team get to another national championship that we did in 2007. Right, and what what was the difference in you know. I think most people can assume the differences, but being a player that plays, uh, I would say high high level high high school ball, being from Miami, what was the difference, or the main differences, from suiting up in Miami high school football to being a freshman on the LSU Tigers? What was that like? The Miami football, we got we got some of the best blue chip football players in the country, not just the state, and on certain teams you had that guy. Like either you was that guy, or you just, or you you were playing you were playing ball, or you was. It depends what you was. But when you got to college, you play against guys who was the guy on their team. You play mm-hmm. against um, one guy who who shocked me when I first got there was doing named Andrew Whitworth, played for the Cincinnati Bengals. Now he's a left tackle. This guy was like six 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 seven, like three hundred twenty pounds, and we're conditioning, and I'm running. I'm only like two thirty. And I'm I'm running. I'm like I could beat everybody on this. But when I saw him like stay toe to toe with me, I'm like, I don't believe off the line can move this damn fast. I'm not used to seeing guys this size can right. cover a whole field and can move quick as just, just as quick as you. That's that's funny. I, I remember there was an athlete when we were training athletes up in Aventura at the facility in Aventura, and there was an offense. I think we talked about this once before. There was an offensive tackle that got down and ran a 40-yard dash. And I was looking across the field at him, and I was thinking, man, that's a really big wide receiver. And it wasn't a wide receiver. It was, as I stated, an offensive tackle who weighed 315 pounds, and he ran a 4.6. And I've never seen anything like it. I mean, just the speed. Those Even offensive linemen, I think in – junior or youth football an offensive lineman they stick someone there who's not necessarily the best athlete basically right yeah that's, and, right that's right and then uh in the nfl that guy might have been the sickest athlete in the whole state true you know <laughs> true i mean you could probably put him in at forward in the nba and he'll hold his own or something like that yeah, right that's true so now you're playing against them and you're supposed to be the better athlete beating him around the corner and he's laughing at you <laughs> So, what was your like your first experience? I mean, because LSU, how many people LSU get at a game roughly? Say it again. How many uh, fans, attendees at the games? You're talking about going from a high school stadium of five thousand people to a stadium of ninety-eight thousand on a Saturday night <laughs> in Baton Rouge, and the stadium is just literally <laughs> vibrating and moving, and you could be standing like a foot from somebody, and you trying to tell them something, and they hear nothing you're saying. <laughs> I see your lips moving, but they don't hear nothing you're saying. The adrenaline. What was that like walking out on that field? It was crazy the first time. I think we were playing La Tech. That was our first game. Even though I was a red shirt, we got a chance to run out the tunnel just seeing the band and the, the fans and just everybody standing up in this purple and gold. And you just see a stadium just covered over you. 
with people just screaming to the top of their lungs. I was like, this ain't high school football no more. I said, now, now when now when we're in college, it was, we can see the difference way, way through the difference between high school and college now. You must have been so jacked up when you first got in that game. Your first experience playing in the game, were you? Look, I don't care what anyone says. When people come on this show and they go, "No, nah, man, I wasn't nervous at all." That is BS, man. <laughs> were you nervous? I was nervous as hell. <laughs> I was. Bo Pelini just became my D coordinator, not a head coach. Bo Pelini was my coach in New England. My oh, first for year. my linebacker coach. Oh, Bo Pelini was my D coordinator just coming. And oh man, we were playing. I forgot what team we were playing. Cajuns. That was my first game. I actually got a chance to play my next year after. After that, and, and he was just grinding. It was like, you better not do this. You better not do that. <laughs> I'm sitting in the game like, I got to follow the step. I got to make sure this man don't do this and this. And I was just so nervous. It was time. I knew the play, but it was just, I was worried about not messing up more than I was like, all right, this is a play, and I'm supposed to do this and this. Any athlete, I don't care what sport you're in, if you say you're not nervous walking on a, a field or a court or whatever, you're lying to yourself. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, yeah, every once in a while I'll get an athlete that he says, man, I felt so good. I was the man. I wasn't nervous. I will find that game footage of you walking <laughs> out on that field looking like a deer in headlights. Your knees are shaking. But, yeah, uh, Bo Pelini, man, he's he's an intense dude. I remember – so he was our linebacker coach, I think, uh, my first year in New England. And, you know, he's got that big dip in, and he's screaming, and he's yelling, and I'm thinking – so there's two kinds of coaches. There's the coaches that coach with positive energy and really build you up. And then there's the other coach that coaches of the Parcells tree, Belichick tree, threats. <laughs> you better not make a mistake because you're going to be the first one to go home. Do you like it here? Do you like that uniform? You, know, you may never get to wear it again. So that's interesting. I think Bo Pelini falls under that tree. And he's a great coach, man. I'm yeah, sure you yeah. had a um, who was your defensive line coach? At first, it was Carl Dunbar. He was um, a coach that coached for with Rex Ryan at the the Giants. I mean, uh, Jets. And then when he went over, he was with the Buffalo Bills. But I think at first he was with the Minnesota Vikings when they had both of the the William brothers mm-hmm. getting off the line. The same way he coached that defensive line. The same way he coached us in uh, LSU. You were four uh, three get off. Yes. 4-3 get off. Joe Cullen was at LSU, but I think that was with Booger McFarlane before you got. Do you remember yeah, him? That's great. Do you know anything about Joe Cullen? No, not really. I think that was way before my time. My time was like Marcus Spears. Okay. Uh, Chad Lavillé. Okay. Like those guys, that was around. That's the, the, the year that I picked up and started following them after that. You know, we all have our stories, but just quickly, if you ever cross paths with Joe Cullen... Joe Cullen is about five foot nine. He'll say he's five ten, two hundred and forty pounds. His arms look like telephone poles, and he his attitude. You ever seen the movie Whiplash? Yeah. Okay, his attitude makes the teacher in Whiplash look like a choir boy. <laughs> I mean, he's the most violent, irritated, intense, crazy individual you will ever meet. He, I mean, he's. He's got a long list. I remember there was an athlete at BPS, a defensive lineman, and I I knew who Joe Cullen was. And I knew this athlete was a defensive lineman under Joe Cullen at the time. And I said, hey, man, uh, you know Joe Cullen? And he looked at me and asked me, how do I know Joe Cullen? I said, well, I, Joe Cullen was my coach for four years in college. And he gave me the 1,000-yard stare. Like, how did you even survive that? Because he is a straight-up lunatic. 
Um, so, you know, you had a, a, a positive experience. Was that, Ricky, how'd it go? Were you a one-year, two-year, three- or four-year starter at, at LSU? I was a three-year starter. Three-year starter in national championships, right? 2007, MVP, National Championship against Ohio State. You were the MVP? Yes. I'm sitting down with an MVP of the national championship game. This is, I think you're thinking you're my first national championship MVP. <laughs> you might there might be a free T-shirt in it for you. Um, that no, that's incredible in all seriousness. And and so, at what point do you start to really think about? Because you always think about it, the NFL and the next level. But when did you start to say, okay, I really gotta start working on these things because I'm going to the combine. And I really have to be prepared. I think I didn't start really thinking about it until I think the game, our last game before we played Georgia Tech in the Georgia Dome, and knowing that was my last uh, collegiate game, and just walking inside the building, and you see agents, you see uh, endorsement people and everything, and I'm like, I'm saying, damn, we still in college, but <laughs> seeing all them people at one time, you need to go to the league, you need to do this, let me be your agent, and all that, I'm like, I said, damn, like reality just shot in, like this really was my last collegiate right. game, and now it's time to, to take that next step. You didn't even have time to be sad. It was like, okay, now we can. Now it's not no longer a, uh, what is it? Against the rules, we can like get talking to him, right? Basically. And how do you pick an agent? Uh, you just gotta go off the field. Yeah, I understand. Like a lot, know a lot of guys gonna blow smoke. A lot of guys gonna tell you where you're gonna go and everything else. I just told every agent to that sat down. I'm like, man, just keep it real with me. Just tell me where I'm going. I don't. Don't tell me no first round, top three picks and all that. <laughs> I'm like, I, I haven't seen the draft. I haven't seen where um, all of Mark Mayock and all them yeah. and, they, and their thing. I'm like, just tell me where I need to go. And a lot of guys in that first was Gary with Charles, God bless his soul, he passed away. He was a mm-hmm. guy who was like, man, I mean, you, you about you said uh, late second, early third. He said at best. And I was like, I said, that's being real. I'm like, that's all I can th- If you can tell me that, that's cool. And then went with another guy. When I picked, I picked one guy who was named David Dunn of Athletes First. I think at the time he had Oh, like, I knew David Dunn. I talked to David Dunn. I oh, know who Athletes First, and that was Allen's, right? With Athletes First? Yeah. Allen, what was his last name? Oh. I remember he ran it, and David Dunn was under Allen, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, what, what was he like? So you, you went with him, David Dunn? I went Dunn. with David Dunn. Okay. Just sent his resume. I think he had first, I mean, he had four number one picks. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken, it had a, a very wide clientele of, of different players and had um, executives and GMs and everything, like just having a chance to sit down with so many of the NFL teams that he was he was good in contact with. I, mm-hmm. I felt like it was, it was a good pick. Mm-hmm. He put me in front of the right people. I had to say the right things. And, you know, you had your ups and downs throughout the process, but it was a process that it was enjoyed. At the moment, it was intense, but I enjoyed it all. Mm-hmm. And you go with David Dunn, you go to the Combine, but before the Combine, you have to figure out where you're going to train for the Combine and where did you go to train? I went to Pete Bomarino and David. Okay. That, that just about half of the, or either the whole NFL go and train that mm-hmm. right now. And mm-hmm. Just going through that experience, that was another experience, just waking up at 6.30 in the morning and not be able to go back to your room till 6 in the afternoon or maybe 7. Right, and you're doing this every single day. You had I had some guys, Rashad Jennings, the starting running back for right. New York Giants. Right, this guy was there since November, and the combine wasn't until I think, if I'm not mistaken, until March. This dude was there every day, 
of 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 his of his life, and you just seen this book assumed to him. But at times we was kids just coming out of college, we were still kids. We wasn't we was young adults, but we still had that that young mentality. Mm. Well, now look, huh? good, good. Well, you're in Miami, Florida. I mean, Miami, Florida, you can get in some trouble uh, quickly, very yeah. quickly. But we were just you were just so much in tune to to training. You had no time for nothing else. We, you tried to make time, you didn't, because you needed your rest, you needed your food, you needed your recovery. When you just got inside then, you saw different guys, like I saw uh, Fred Taylor, I then saw Thomas Jones, Maurice Jones, Drew, you just right. inside a building with those type of dudes. So you knew what you had to do to, to, to get on their level, just looking at them. So time out, tell, why don't you, uh, this is audio obviously, Ricky, tell the people, the, our listeners, the people that are listening to this show are people that will be connected to you, uh, NFL fans, uh, people who are Mark Magna, fitness fans, just people who love sport and they love people who have achieved at a high level. First, describe what Fred Taylor looks like. He was a true definite. He, he, I called him a Jaguar. <laughs> he, he was a guy, I know a lot of the gyms and people saying he was older, but he was just as fast. He was just as strong. He was just as wise. He was he was just chiseled for a guy that his age playing and running back. I know when you get up in the age around 33, 34, this guy was still pushing and still doing things that if a, a rookie running back came in, he still was going to be able to outdo you. He still was going to be able to outwork you. He just had that mindset. When you got a chance to be in a weight room with him or you had a chance to work out with him, you you knew what you had to get into just to be on his level. That was I couldn't have said it better myself. Every, all those things are absolutely true, and I remember thinking I was one of the performance coaches that worked under Pete at BPS. And every time Fred was in one of our groups, it was a sigh of relief because I knew this would be the most organized, no nonsense <laughs> group, and no one was going to slow the tempo of this session, which I loved. Fred Taylor looked like he could walk on stage at a men's fitness physique contest and make everyone look bad. I mean, it was incredible. I, I couldn't believe what I was looking at. And then it wasn't look like Tarzan, play like Jane. It was look like Tarzan, play like Tarzan's father. <laughs> I mean, it was incredible. This guy could run, he could, he was strong, he could push, he could pull, and he could recover, man. He was conditioned as all hell. Yes, I don't think he ever got tired. It was incredible. I don't believe so. Incredible. So you're you, you're training at BPS. Uh, you know, Pete does a great job there, and now you're off to the combine. Let's talk about your combine experience. There's a, there's a lot of you getting your first taste of what this is like for a job, Ricky. So you know, you're running ragged, getting up at six thirty a.m., coming back six seven o'clock at night in Aventura, and now you're off to the combine. Were you nervous? I was nervous as hell. Got there, you know, got off the plane. I think it was a it was a Denver guy, you know, threw me a hat. He was like, okay, get ready to go to the building. And then we just got a chance to sit down. You see different groups. You see everybody in college who was just invited to the combine. Uh, for people that are looking from the outside in, you only see just just a little bit of it. You get to just see what we do with just the 40 times, the bench press, the the, the drills and all. But we was rude. We had a rude awakening. We realized you had to sit down and you had this card that had like eight teams, twelve teams. You had to do tests. You had to do medical exams. You had to do so many things before you got on that TV. And when we got into it, it was like a shock to us. We was like, oh, we just remember seeing on TV is just you know run the forty, you know do the bench press, jump, do the vertical, 
do drills, see coaches up there uh, timing you, write notes. That's what you was only used to saying. But when you saw the the eternal thing before you got on that, it was like, man, I was like, bro, this is this is the NFL. Like we really are trying to be in the NFL, and this is what we got to go through. And I, I hear all kinds of stories. I, I wasn't invited to the combine. I was from a small school. I had uh, pro days. And what's it like there? Do you do they weight groups up at different times? Like, do you have to run a forty at ten, eleven o'clock at night? Is that true? It is. It I is. think the, I think we were, I was there with the skill guys, and I seen them dudes. I seen dudes like waking up. You hearing those close at five thirty a.m. in the morning, and it was a train. It's a train station, so I'm at the end of it. All you keep hearing with doors opening and closing, open. I'm looking at the clock like. It's five thirty in the morning. Like, who in the hell is doing this? And as soon as you flip on the TV, or you finish eating breakfast. You see a group running at eight o'clock. You see another group running at nine o'clock. You see another group running at ten. It's like, wow! Like people are waking throughout, like different groups waking up throughout the day in the morning just to run a forty. Mm-hmm. And I'm used to running forty probably like round one or two because that's when we start training. But Opt- Pete, optimal times, right? Um, yeah. So Pete trained, but Pete trained us to. Be able to run at any time. I don't care if you wake up out of bed, you should be able to run. If you later in the day, you should be able to run. But he just trained us that good to, to be that way. Now, tell us how he trained you to do that because, once again, you know, I have a great deal of respect for Pete. He does a great job. How does he prepare you to be ready to go at all times? I mean, you have to wake up at 6 and be in a building 6.30 to 7. This man broke your 40, your 49, like, seriously to – Looked at your video, seen how your foot should be, seen how your heel should be up, your your hip should be doing this, your arm should be snapping back. It got so sick and tired, and I did not know I was gonna get tired of just seeing the, the forty times, just seeing uh, you need to do this, you need to do that, gotta throw your arm, you gotta do this. People do not realize what you have to go through to run a forty. Just because you see it that forty time when somebody run a four three, four two, or a four four. Look at what they had to do to get to that time. I understand a lot of dudes are naturally fast, but those guys get the high performance forty time, or or they had the best forty time in their group. Believe me, they just went through hell just to get mm-hmm. that forty time. Oh yeah, down. oh yeah. Arms, step, stance, butt high, hips high. Lock your hamstring, lock your knee, yes. toes up. Uh, people, uh, it's incredibly detailed. Incredibly detailed. Just give me a quick example. The average person looks at their phone 50 to 80 times an hour. An hour. Do the math over the course of the day, okay? Now, Pete probably looks at your stance, your 40, your start, um, maybe a thousand times while you're there over a three-month period. Right. And... Just think about the amount of repetitions he has and the performance coaches have looking at reps. So if your knee uh, is dropped in, if your hips are low, if you're not throwing your arms, they can spot it from a mile away and they know it backwards. Oh, that's, that's the aggravating part. Yeah. When you think you just got in your down pack and you hear Pete, you didn't snap your arms back. You didn't put your ankle. I'm like, how in the hell do he see this? Yeah. To us, we we was trying to figure it out, but to him, like you said, over three four month period, this man is only looking at how your body functions, how you move, how your foot moves, your arm, and everything. So he knows when everything ain't on point, he can tell you, and he can scream straight out to you. Right, and it's constantly watching these little things, and he's 
you know, we talk about it in pass rush, Ricky. I'm always trying to get you to exaggerate all your emotions because when you get in a game, it's not going to be like that. So if you exaggerate now, you may end up in the middle ground, where you, where, which is exactly where you need to be. So he's really trying to hammer you and have you exaggerate those movements. And so we take it over now to the combine, Ricky. It's combine. You're at the combine. It's your turn, chance to run the 40. Talk us through it. Um. I think I was I got hurt like I think a week before running the forty when we was at Pete. So I sat out, but when I got a chance to sit down and see guys prepare before we got into the stadium, I think it was six o'clock that morning, Pete wanted us in there and you seeing guys running the forty through this this one I think it was a um uh, like a convention center and all you just seeing dudes from like different gyms, different locations in here preparing to run the forty and I'm like, I said, This is really serious. So one of the coaches, I think it was an old guy from Tennessee, God bless his soul. I remember thinking past. He would, he got on me, he was like, are you running the forward? I was like, no. Why are you not running the forward? I was like, hurt. <laughs> like, you wasting my time to get on that plane and come from Tennessee to sit sit here and just see you just work out and, and wow. you're not going to run a 40? At first, I was like, I don't know if to the sarcastic or he joking or he like he really serious. That's pressure, man. I didn't know that. That was real pressure. And yeah. I was like, I, I just not running. I said, man, I, I'll see you at LSU. He was like, I'm not going to be at LSU. Came pro day, it was the same dude who was at the end of that 40. <laughs> and I was, like, after that, I was like, I thought you said you wasn't showing up. He was like, he's, I was just in the area. So I stopped by. Man, would you want to look at one of the other teammates and not you? Oh, boy. That's funny. Okay, so did you do the bench press? I did the bench press. I did it 27 times. 27 reps in the bench. Do you remember the vertical? No vertical. I think the vertical was 34, 35. That's great. Broad jump? It, it, Roughly. Took, me, well, it took me about seven, eight times just to land. To I think land it was it. like I think it was ten something. I can't remember the exact number. Okay. Do you remember the twenty yard shuttle? Nah, I don't Okay, three cone? No. Nah, I don't remember that now. Okay. Were there any meetings where you were like, Wow, I remember meetings with some coaches or some some specific team um, that you were like, Man, and that was God please. It was with the first attempts meeting with the Browns, they had Brian Cox in that room. By the way, I was a linebacker with Brian Cox in New York Jets, and I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> no, having no information about this meeting, I already know how uncomfortable this was. Please go ahead. I just go in, didn't even get a, hey, how you doing, what's your name? All it did was sat down, he turned on the film, and I think at the time it was, I think it was new formations of, um, they was coming in with, I think Florida ran majority of them. That's when they were running, had Tim Tebow at quarterback. So you didn't know the formations. Like, these were brand-new, different formations. I can understand if it was 21, 11, 12 personnel. But they had different formations that was on the setup for him. And Brian Cox was like, what's this formation? I'm like, bro, I can't even tell you. <laughs> he was like, what is this? He was like, you tell him you walked in this room and you didn't know none of these formations? I'm looking at him. I'm like, man, it ain't our pro or king set or our formation. I'm like. The basics. Yeah, the basic. You're not looking at that or a shotgun with four receivers. You're looking at a weird type of, of offense that successfully for Tim Tebow in Florida, they ran good. I just didn't know the name of him. He was just sitting there. He was like, just walked in my room and just waste my time. You can't tell me the formation. I'm like, I looked at him. I'm like, you can't even tell me the formation. By the way, he probably could not. And he couldn't. He would look at me. That's not important for me not to be able to say it. You need to tell me you can do it. I'm like, if you can't tell me, how am I supposed to tell you what it is? And if I did just guess oh, it, right. you'd be thinking I'm right. That's all right. Oh. And then the next one was, um, was Carolina Panthers. That room was so small. I went inside, and all I just saw were three dudes 
with computers sitting in front of a table, and you see the, the organization is all behind them. You see guys in the back of the bathroom, dudes standing on top of beds, uh, tables. I'm thinking at least it had to be 30 dudes inside a room that, that they shouldn't be able to fit that many dudes. And I'm just sitting there, I'm like... The whole staff and scouting department, right? Yes, and they're just sitting there. You see three dudes just sitting there with with, with uh, computers. And I'm like, I said, I know I can't lie about nothing. <laughs> as, as soon as like they asked a question, one of the coaches, I think John Fox was still a head coach in the Carolina. I just seen dudes start moving their finger. Re, how do you? I'm like, um, 20-something. Click, 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 click. I'm like, why do you, like, <laughs> these dudes are moving their damn hands? And it's, then they start asking questions that you thought they would never get to. Stuff that they knew, like, when you was in 11th grade, did you do this? Or when you was in high school, I mean, when you was in college your freshman year and you went out and did something happen on this night? And it's like, how in the hell do a bunch of guys I don't know for nothing know yeah. all this about me? And no give me time, please. Don't even waste your time trying to lie. You, you, you even tried to. They already had the answer sitting in front of them. They just wanted to see what you just answered the correct right. way. They wanted to hear you. Exactly. It's all about what information you give back to them and probably things you couldn't even remember that they were bringing up. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, when I think Raheem Morris was the head coach, he was bringing up stuff I couldn't even – like I was trying to sit there hard as I could. I'm like, I don't even remember me doing this. He was like, you know you you know you remember this. You know I'm like – Sir, I'm not going to even lie to you. I don't remember what you were even talking about. I think I might have did it. I might think I didn't. I don't know. I can't even tell you it. That's, that's intense. So you finish up at the Combine. Uh, you do your pro days. And now draft day rolls around. What are you feeling when you're going into the draft, Ricky? I was just nervous. I was like, now my life's going to change. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm not going to be home anymore. Been training. I'm from Miami, so I've been training in Miami. Now you're not going to be in front of the guys who you train with for three, four months. Now you're going to go to a team with guys who you looked at or probably say you was a fan of, or that's who you wanted to be like. Now you're going to go and you're just trying to figure out which pick are you going to be. Or Roger Goodell going to be calling your name, or somebody else going to be calling your name. You're just trying, just eager to find out where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And you're watching the draft with family where? I'm watching the draft with family. I'm sitting inside the house with my mom, my dad, and my brother. I was just at the house watching it. Okay. Day one rolls around. Two-day draft. I, you Look, people can say, hey, man, I knew I wasn't going on the first day or in the first round. But some people think it's very possible. You never know, right? You never know. You never know. You don't know the GM. You don't know the GM thinking from another team. He may make a trade that may make everybody else change their boards and you move up or somehow it's, it's, it's complicated than what it seemed like on a movie that they did draft notes. It's a mm-hmm. lot of things that go behind it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So first day rolls around. What, what's your thought process? And when, you know, they're, they're start getting into the second round. What are you thinking? I'm just sitting there, just sitting there and I see my name on the bottom of the, on the bottom of the best available for defense alignments. And I was number five and I'm just sitting there like, okay, I'm then go first round. Okay, cool. Let's see what the second round to bring up. Then didn't go to second round. It started getting to me at first because what my agent told me, he was like, you can go this, you might go, possibly you go this pick or this round or this team looking for you or they looking for this position. So I was just like, okay, day one passed by. I'm like, all right, I ain't get picked. That's cool. Even though I was kind of hurt because I wanted to be up that high, but I'm like, all right, I just, to me, I had to tell myself now those picks, because that was the old CBA. It really did make a difference, but at the end I had to tell myself, I'm like, it's just a number now. Like, I understand that you want to go first round, you want to go second round, 
all those number of just picks. But when it's time for a team to pick you and they put you on the team, your your round don't that draft pick you was that round you was was anymore. They don't care for it. Now they want to see the person who they drafted get on this field and display the talent. Show show us the right. reason why we we use this pick to bring you in. Right. So you you get a call and we talk, talk to us about the call. You get a call from the Forty Niners. It was day three. I'm looking like man. I've been the best available pick since the third round. Um, had a few issues. They said I had character issues, you know. So character issues, really. Yeah. I had character issues, so you know how that go. You from the start dropping out of rounds and going farther. So I left. I was with my mom and my dad. I left the house, went to Hollywood Beach, and just sat there for a few minutes. I had my phone next to me, and all I did was just close my eyes and close my eyes, and I just said, God, man, wherever you want me to be, man, just just put me there. All I just want to do is just get on the team. You put me on the team, I do the rest. Got back home, all I just seen when I pulled up in my truck, my mama just ran out the house full speed. I'm like, what you run out the house for? She had the, the phone in the hand. I'm like, I picked it up. On the other end, I hear Mike Singletary. Oh, boy. Mike Singletary sitting here on the phone. Hey, we got this pick. I forgot what pick it was. I know it was 200 something, but he was like, we got this pick. Um, we want to drive a D-line. We're trying to address it. Would you like to come aboard? Would you like to play? He was like, I can hang up his phone right now and go and pick another D line. I'm like, <laughs> hell no. I'm like, man, you can pick me. What are you talking about? Uh, what, ki- what kind of a way is that to ask someone if they want to come well, aboard? But he was being real. That's like, who he you is, want right? to get picked? Cool. If you don't, hey, we can put this phone down and feel like we never had this conversation. But when I sat there and just looked across the screen and I just saw my name come across, I was just happy. I'm like, damn, I'm like, I'm, I'm a 49er now. I'm going to the West Coast. Now this is where my career started. This is where me becoming that athlete, that football player I always wanted to be starts here. Talk, look, um, that sounds like an incredible moment. You're very descriptive. Tell us about what you were feeling inside when that finally happened because that's a special moment, man. You work your whole life, high school, college. It was, it was, it was a sign of relief. It yeah. was just a, a big, big, big relief that I said, man, I got drafted. Because at one point, I just started, like, at one point, I just started getting down. You hear hearing the Saints call you for free agency, hearing Minnesota call you free agency, the Miami Dolphins for free agency. And I'm like, damn, I'm like, I'm not that good to, to, to get picked up by a team. Like, mm-hmm. no one wants me, mm-hmm. but you want to pick me up in free agency. I understand it's cheap, and you can do what you want. And I'm like, I'm like, nah, I said, I know somebody got to pick me. When I saw that pick come across, you talking about a signing relief. It felt like I was holding the world on me, and as soon as I heard that that call and that pick, I was like, "Okay, we we got one thing off our back." I'm like, "I'm finally." I just felt like I was light as day, and I was happy about it. Mm-hmm. You make your way out, I and mean, Mike Singletary, by the way, for the, our listeners who don't know who Mike Singletary is, would you like to tell them a little bit about Mike Singletary? Mike Singletary is probably one of the best Mike linebackers in the NFL history. He played with the best defense. They say in NFL history, the '82 Bears, that was that was led by Buddy Ryan. God bless his soul. One of the mm-hmm. best defense coordinators. Mike Singletary was the, the 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 best thing you saw in the number fifty coming across that line and linebacker. Played hard every down. He was a Hall of Famer, Super Bowl winning linebacker, and. At that time, he was the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. At first, he was the linebacker coach coaching a guy named Takeo Spikes, one of the best linebackers, a guy named Patrick Willis, one of the best linebackers. So you've seen, you, you, you seen what type of guys he coached and he'd been around. Hmm. Man, I remember reading 
watching Mike Singletary play, and I'm, I just gave a speech yesterday, and I remember watching number 50 thinking, man, that guy is incredible. He must be six foot five, 240 pounds. And then I looked through the, the manual, uh, the magazine, the Sporting News, and it said 5'11", which may have been pushing it, 220, which was probably also pushing it. And he was productive, man. Yes. Incredible. And those eyes, right? Yes, he was. Man, intense. Super intense. So you make your way out to the West Coast and you know, your your first experience in practice, this uh you have rookie camp, but let's not talk about rookie camp necessarily. Let's talk about mini camp when the vets are there. What is that like? Oh man. You just come you coming from to, to, to camp with some of the biggest players in the NFL. Uh, you sitting on the field, you trying to see, you trying to see where you getting in. That at first, I would like you were just getting reps once or twice a day because you know you got all these other older vets in front of you and other guys who they wanted to see. But they gonna they gonna give your time an opportunity. You just don't know when. But they always told me you needed to be prepared. You need to sit there. I know you're not getting no physical reps, but you better take mental and visual reps each time you out there. You hear a play, you better be going through your head. This is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. And when you just seen the. It, when people say the speed of the game is fast, it's not the speed of the game. It's your reaction and you hearing something. Like a guy can call strong left, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. Snap. Within within that short period of time, you better know what to do and how to react. If you don't, if you're going gonna to be able to tell on the NFL field, you're not ready for this level yet. Yeah, it's so interesting you said that. I remember in college – I was in class, in the classroom, and some of the students were referencing athletes and how some of the athletes were meatheads or not that smart. The playbook was almost 400 pages, and they had to retain all of that information. Now, when you're an NFL athlete, I understand that some people think NFL athletes don't make the smartest decisions, and I understand. We obviously understand where that comes from, um, but I'll tell you something the amount of things that you have to adjust to on the fly is incredible and you have to make those decisions quickly so when you talk about the brain and the mind functioning in like a hyper speed it is right before a snap in the nfl how did you do with making those adjustments at first at first i just had to sit there and just like read the playbook <laughs> just i had to read and read and read and read and it's different. I know a lot of guys that first come in the league, they'd be like, okay, I, I can read a playbook. It's cool. But can't you react to can't you react the speed of a playbook? Can't you be able to go on the field and stop looking at this notebook and not go inside the field and be like, okay, here we go. We're going to run this blitz. And can't you run the blitz to speed and you know what gap you need to hit and where you need to be? Because I remember the first time I ran a blitz, I think it was Frost, if I'm not mistaken. I still remember that. It was a weak side safety blitz, and I was on the weak side. And I'm looking around like, man, I think I'm supposed to long stick. I don't know if I'm supposed to scoop. I'm supposed to do something. Patrick Willis was coming full speed, and I think I stood in a gap. He was supposed to be in. I got ran <laughs> over clean. You put his helmet in your back? Yes. And I was sitting there. He was like, what you doing? Don't you know the play? You know you're supposed to hit that gap and this and this. I'm sitting there like. This shit didn't happen like this in the playbook when I look at it like this. And it was just like, it's a, it's a different reaction when you sit inside the room and you're reading the playbook and you're on the field and you have to do what you just saw this, this line just go. That That's two different experiences. I understand mm -hmm. people like, I can do this. No, you can't. It's, 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 two, it's two different feelings that I'm sitting inside, you sitting inside your house, 
you and your Kool-Aid see, you can read, like, okay, I got to do this on this play and this. But when it's time to get on the field and you're in front of all the linemen and you got guys screaming out stuff and telling you where to go and this, within that, that snap of that ball, you better be able to move the speed of that ball getting into that quarterback hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting. You, you know, you're watching a game on television and you're on your comfortable couch. You have this beautiful TV, this wide screen. You're looking at that beautifully groomed field. You see the gaps, the space between the guard and the tackle. You see the awesome formations and the alignments, and you're like, wow, this that doesn't look that hard. <laughs> and then you see number three receiver leaves or goes in for a motion to the other side. The tight end steps off the line, goes to the other side. The back displaces and becomes the new three on the left side. And you're thinking, ah, no big deal. A few guys are moving around. <laughs> it kind of changes things often, right? And to know what you're doing all the time is an incredible skill. How many guys did you know that would just knew it cold backwards? You're like, wow, that guy is a very, very intelligent player. Patrick Willis skill spikes, the two inside backers. Patrick just can tell where everyone needed to be on that field, plus himself. And that was crazy. I was like, this man can tell us what we need to be. This man can tell what a corner, what a safety, if a, if a running back's move. Guys, I understand when you're sitting there and you're looking at that TV, you don't see nobody move and you think nothing's happening. In certain defense, and certain, depending on who your D coordinator is, if one person moves, believe me, something is changing. Somebody's saying something different. It just don't look like that on TV. Yeah. But believe me, somebody's saying something different. They either changing, the, they either moving the strength, they either running the blitz, they making an adjustment. They're, they're saying cloud or under or something like that just because one person moved. And just you have to know that 60, 70 plays a game because mm. on that one play you may mess up and be thinking like, damn, he moved. What I supposed to do and what I supposed to do? I understand a lot of people say football players are meatheads. Believe me, if I put that playbook in front of you, especially a quarterback playbook in front of you, you wouldn't be able to understand half of the things or you'd be able to maintain. When I heard, when I used to hear Andrew Luck say one play, one play, even though our philosophy was at that time when I was with the coach, it was three plays in one. So you hearing this long, you hearing this long, driven out play, X, Y, Z, slant, Ohio, like his concepts, his routes, his blocking, is this and this, and it's all is coming into one play. It's nowhere in the world that most people say when football players are dumb. If I told you to go on the field and say I played an Andrew Luck or one of these quarterbacks in the NFL, say, and you could be able to perfect it on a consistent basis, I'd be impressed, but I know you're not going to be able to do that at either. Yeah. Yeah. Football, knowing, and by the way, Spikes was a linebacker. I was with Spikes in Cincinnati. And our quarter and our head coach and defensive coordinator was Coach Dick LeBeau. So that's uh -oh. yeah. So that's probably the reason <laughs> why he you know firstly Takeo Spikes is one of the best linebackers arguably in college football history. I mean even if he's not, he's definitely top five or ten. I mean he was incredibly productive in college. He was a killer, unbelievable. But being under Dick LeBeau, who has over 53 years of coaching experience, not at all levels, in the NFL. Yeah. In the NFL. That's a lot of years of coaching, man. I mean, that guy knows it. He's talking about things where, like, okay, coach, you feel bad telling him you got to dumb it down and slow things down because no one in the whole room is understanding <laughs> you. I mean, he's so smart. It was incredible. 
And uh, our linebacker coach was Mark Duffner, who was an incredible coach, uh, a national coach of the year when he was at Holy Cross and then later the head coach at Maryland. So, you know, you, you're trying to do everything right. It's in, you know hard to pick up. You pick it up. You do the very best you can. And now you're playing in your first NFL game. Take us through the experience. First NFL game. Who are you playing against? First NFL game preseason we played against Denver. And I got a chance to get into the game, I think. And first play, I, it was an Oki front, if, I, if I'm not really mistaken. It was an Oki front. We lined up. I'm seeing bigger dudes in front of me. I'm talking about just ridiculous size. And I'm like, okay, I'm lined up. Let's go. Let's have a ball. Came off the ball. Tried to, tried to just use my athletic ability. Not no hand moves or nothing. And this right tackle just latches on and just not move again. And I'm sitting here like, hold up, this ain't supposed to happen. <laughs> like I'm slapping his hand, his arm, and everything. And I'm talking about his hands are locked on. And he's just sitting and I'm like, damn, I'm like, this is the end. Like, this is the NFL. Like, I got to get better at this. Like, this is the first thing. I'm coming out of my stance. I'm trying to just, just trying to bend a corner on this dude. This dude put his hands on me and I did not move. I'm sitting here like, okay. Yeah, we in the NFL. I got to get better at this right now. This ain't my other teammates who I go to in practice, and they're trying to work on their technique. This is another guy who's trying to get a job the same way as me, so he's going to use his technique as well as I as well as I do. So from that time on, I had to get better and better each year. Mm. And holding is a is a skill by the offensive lineman. They hold every single play. Right. Every single play. And if you turn your head and say that's a hold, it's not only going to be the most embarrassing thing you could say, you're going to expose yourself and let everyone know that you can't get away from those death grip hands. Uh, so you're, you're, you're playing and you're doing your very best, Ricky. What's it like uh, trying to maintain that tempo? Were you, you know, you've been through so much conditioning. Did you feel it, or did you feel like you were in top shape? In regards to conditioning, firstly. I felt like I was in top shape. Okay. I was, I was, I was well in shape. I was just so damn nervous. I didn't mm -hmm. care about being tired. Mm -hmm. It was like I'm trying to go out here. I'm trying to get a job. I got to go full speed, run to the ball each and every play. You're sort of nervous. You're not worrying about you run out of breath, if it's cold, or what's going on. All you're trying to do is I got to make this play. Mm -hmm. got to do my assignment, run to the ball, get there be there every time wherever this ball go you go mm. you're trying to make a sack trying to attack and run back you got to be there on each and every play and i did that so many times that preseason game mm -hmm. i didn't like really care for my condition i'm like i'm here every play i was so nervous i didn't i didn't know I, if i was out of shape or in shape but i was there on every play didn't matter if the ball was 30 yards down the field 40 or a slant or if it was a screen i was i had to be there in the tape because our coach was always like 11 11 hats always got to be to the ball right Absolutely, um, you know you bounced through, you bounced around. You've been with a few teams. You were with the uh, 49ers, You were with the Colts. Out of the, I'm not going to mention the three with with the Redskins now, but out of the 49ers and the Colts, what team did you have the mo the the better, more positive experience with, and why? I'm said San Francisco because I went a little bit out west, and that's like a whole different world. Like just not same the football aspect, just the living and just the culture and just the mm -hmm. the people. I'm, I'm just I'm not used to seeing Koreans, Africans, uh, Russians, P P Pakistanians. I'm looking like I said I'm really in like a whole real different world. Right. And I'm getting used to the time zone and everything else. But when I got a chance to be there, I got a chance to play with a lot of great guys from Justin Smith, Ray McDonald, Randy Moss, Michael Crabtree, Mario Manningham, 
Colin Kaepernick, was coached by Jim Harbaugh, was coached by Mike Singletary, Hall of Fame linebacker, one of the best defense ever in NFL history. I, I had a ball. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Had a chance, made a run at the Super Bowl. Uh, we quite didn't win it. We lost by uh, three points to the Baltimore Ravens, but mm-hmm. all that was the experience that I took in them four years. I, would, I learned a hell of a lot just being around a lot of those guys. Okay. Tremendous. Yeah, it's definitely different living on the the West Coast. What what would you think? What would you say, Ricky? Are the three biggest takeaways that contributed to your success? The Magnum Method Podcast. We asked you not in your secrets, but what's your the key ingredients that helped you so very much get to this level? The circle of people you're around. The 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 the, the five people you're around or either talk to each and every day is going to have an influence around you. The next thing is 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 what's your your mental standpoint. Are you willing to sacrifice going to the club? I understand we just get in the NFL. You get money that you never had. You a college student making two hundred dollars a month. And now you're making six, seven figures a a week or something like that. And you got a chance to go anywhere, food and all that. But you really had to to sacrifice being. You had to be in the house. You had to look at the playbook. You had to to eat right. You had to be in the weight room. You had to just so many different things you had to do to elevate your game if you wanted to stay in this league so long. It was hard for me to get in it. Now, it's going to be harder just to stay in it because it's going to be somebody each and every other year that's coming in that's younger than me, that's faster than me, that's stronger than me. And they're going to be trying to find a reason, like, like why should we keep Ricky compared to this young guy that can probably do the same thing. So each and every day when I was out there, I had to find a way to, to make myself better. And just having d lines like Demetri Evans, Kentuan Bomber, Justin Smith, I had guys like that around. And when I just hung around guys like that, it it, it it showed me what what's the professional, what's the NFL player. I seen Justin Smith coming there every day, every morning. He's in the hot tub, got a cup of coffee in the film room, on the practice field, bullying people. When it came Sunday, man, you 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 talking about a cowboy? That's a true cowboy going out there, knocking dudes over. He only had the one move, and it was the club, and he was going to move you. I don't care yeah. what player you was in the league, you was going to be moved. And just having those guys around me, it, it, it helped me mentally. It helped me so great mentally and physically because I was in the weight room trying to get the strength of, of Justin Smith and, and Ray McDonald and all these guys. Mm. I mean, it's a blessing to be around some good people. What was Justin Smith? I mean, you described his attitude, but this this is an intense dude, right? Yes. Oh, my a, God. A, a very large dude out of Missouri. He was a guy that came in every day and he was ready to practice. He came in every day, he was ready to play. And you just seen that attitude. You just seen when he came out there and he was just running through dudes, bullying dudes, beating up dudes. When you seen him, it was like the energy just came alive on our team. You seen him, cause you knew each and every play, this man was gonna come off the ball and he was going to come at you with full force. And he has the strength to run you over, either pick you up. One game we played against the Saints, this guy picked up two offensive linemen walked him to Drew Brees and made the sack. When I saw that, I was like, that was what you call determination. That's what you call what you want to be in the NFL. Man, so that being said, great example for you to learn from, by the way. I've heard tons of stories about Justin. What? Who was your favorite teammate up and up until now? My favorite teammate was Randy Moss. Why? Because Randy, Randy Moss was the guy that just taught me the ins and outs of football, to the personal side and the business side. And just telling me with your emotions, how to do things, how to carry yourself, how to 
to be a certain way because he's been in the league. He's been going through ups and downs since the time he was in high school to college to the NFL, and he was just telling us what not to do, how to carry yourself, what what the perception you need to give off of, what do people need to, to look at you, how people need to talk about you, or you need how you need to talk about people, or how the biggest thing he told me is how relationships with a lot of people in that building because you don't know where this receiver coach might go. You don't know where this D coordinator might go. You don't know where this person might go because at the end, when, when it's time to walk away from the field, the biggest thing you're going to have is your relationships with, with different guys and different people around the league. Mm. And who was – I'm trying to get to get Ricky through this. He's got family in town. He's nice enough to be here. Um, we're coming up on an hour. Ricky, the toughest opponent you ever played against. I don't want to say his name wrong. Uh, what team? It's the the right guard. It might be the right or left guard for the Baltimore Ravens. Yonder. Oh yes. Why? This dude was just so he he go. Like he just got after you. Like there was a, a, you know, a, the the typical offensive lineman that you see on the everyday dude trying to come off the ball, trying to rip your head off. He's blocking, he punching you in the chest. He's <laughs> being dirty, rolling, chopping everything. And when I first seen a guy like that, before I was like, I said, damn, I said, he's really that guy. But I, I like going up against guys like that because now I get to see what my skill sets against a guy that's a Pro Bowl just about damn near every year of his career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So each and every year, and, and we get, and I'm with the Redskins now. We're gonna play him this year, and I'd be happy when it's time to line up against him to see to see where I'm at. So play against offensive linemen like that is a is, is a blessing because I get to see where I'm at. Let me see, can I beat this guy? Let me see if I'm strong. Let me see, can I knock him off the ball? Because believe me, so he's he trying to do the same thing I'm trying to do each and every other play. Interesting, terrific info. Was there any pass rusher in NFL history or in the NFL that you wanted to emulate? It was just so many of them. Yeah, it was. I'll pick uh, a few. Javon Curse, uh, mm-hmm. Jason Taylor, uh, Jay Ratliff, mm-hmm. Tommy Harris. Um, let me take a throwback. Bruce Smith. Oof. Monster. Um, Were you a Randy uh, Randy White guy? Reggie White? Or Randy Reggie White? White, I'm sorry. Oh, Reggie White, yes. Oh, Randy White as well, by the way. <laughs> That's really old school. But Reggie White, yes. Okay. With the, the, the man that just came on the field with no tape, no glove, and can literally ham knock you smooth off your feet. Unbelievable, huh? Oh, man. There's so many different pass rushes I just wanted to emulate, but at the same time, I had to, to know who, who I was first as a, as a player. Of course. Before I started taking up those dudes. It was tips and tips and things I mm. wanted to take away from them that can make my game better. And I, I'm happy that I had chances to, to be around guys like that. I had a chance to sit down with Bruce Smith and – to ask him like, oh, how do you do this? How do you do that? Even though I know the game is different from, from then and now, but the fundamentals of playing deep in line and trying to beat off the line, and those will never change. Right. Was there one small little practice or ritual that helped you tremendously once you're at that level, and maybe even today? Um, I got a guy named. We let him go, but this guy named Joe Kim. Every before every game, for every practice, I understand he was getting on my nerves, trying to just do hand moves and flip your hips and try to move your feet and it just got on our nerves like i'm like bro like we're just coming out here we're just warming up he was like no let's do hands let's do feet let's let's do it over and over and over and over if i would have had that guy in the beginning of my career lord i would have been so far but mm-hmm. as as he just been around and he, he, it was it was a reason it was a timing for him to be around us for the time he was he made us learn something he made us just 
like just like how you say when I do drills with you, you mm-hmm. over exaggerate everything. Mm-hmm. At first, we don't understand why we over exaggerating because I'm like, we get in this game, we're not gonna over exaggerate trying to slap his hand or move his feet. But when you actually over exaggerate what you're doing, especially at defensive line, and you see yourself win because he told you to flip your hips more or do this to your hands, make sure you get across the corner, or get that back foot around, mm-hmm. and you beat somebody, you sit there and you be you have an awe moment. Mm-hmm. You just had a feeling like, damn, he was mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and then as soon as you get it, now you're trying to implement that to your game and seeing how smoother your game would be. And it got a lot smoother. It made it a lot easier for me in my in my, my years. That's right. It's not all just uh, blood and guts. It's technique too, right? Yes. Okay, Ricky. Thank you so much for all that. This is the the fun stuff. Um, that was certainly fun. But this is just for the fans to get to know a little bit more about you. This is the speed round of questions. So just quick answers for the most part. If you want to elaborate, certainly you can do that. But uh, more or less quicker things. Favorite food? Crawfish pasta. That sounds good. <laughs> favorite ritual? Your own personal favorite ritual? Mm, Got to call my mom before every game. Nice. Favorite sports team outside the Redskins or growing up? The Miami Marlins, a.k.a. the Florida Marlins. Nice. Favorite athlete growing up? Or, yeah, yeah. Favorite athlete? Ooh. Hmm. Favorite athlete is growing up. I'm going to say Michael Jordan. And the only reason I'm saying that, I actually got a chance to see him play. Most kids be like, I right. like Jordan. No, you haven't seen this dude play. I'm talking about a, out of UNC. I'm talking oh, about wow. from then all the way into to wow. the day he retired. That's right. That's right. I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan as well. So you're going to go with Jordan over LeBron, of course, right? Yeah. The, the, hey, he's Michael Jordan's the standard. Six rings, many MVPs mm-hmm. that Michael Jordan's the standard. I, love, I respect LeBron James because he, he's getting there. But right. six rings and some of the things he done done. Mm. Right. LeBron's tremendous, but Michael Jordan's Michael Jordan. Uh, favorite movie of all time? Rush Hour. <laughs> favorite book The Alchemist yeah Paulo Coelho right mm-hmm. favorite TV show favorite TV show Martin nice favorite 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 character on Martin uh, ooh favorite character on Martin uh, oh Otis <laughs> oh Otis that right alright favorite type of music Everything I listen to all. Okay. Favorite quote. It's, I got a gang of them. Mm. Michael Jordan said, I think on his last press conference, "You respect the game, the game respect you. You disrespect the game, the game will disrespect you." Nice. Mentor. Ooh. I can't really say. I don't. I don't, I don't know. Okay. But I, I believe my mentor is the books. When I start opening up books, to start opening my mind to a lot of things. Understood. Last, w- this is not the last one. If you could put one word on a billboard, what would it be? What? One word. One word. Words one word. Words. One phrase. Two, you can go two words. Oh, we can go afraid. We can go afraid. Massive success. Massive success. If you could change one thing about this world, what would it be? People mindset. People's mindset. Ricky, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. It was a tremendous honor, a great hour, and I wish you tons of success this year. And I know you're going to have tons of it, my friend. Thank you very much. All right, man. Thank you for having me.